0: repulsed and disgusted by a child who benefits hugely from the generosity of his parents and then he responds to his parents without any gratitude and yet that is exactly the shocking way that fallen man responds to God.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series in Romans 1, titled God's Wrath Revealed and Man's Shocking Response. In Romans 1, verses 18 through 20, The Apostle Paul teaches that the existence of God has been made abundantly clear in His creation, in nature. And consequently, all mankind knows that God exists. And yet, according to the text, mankind utterly rejects Him. But as Tom will show you today, this rejection isn't accidental. It's a willful, informed rejection of the one true God. This is the shocking response that all of mankind gives to the God of the Bible. But is there any hope to save mankind from this wretched position? Well, be encouraged, friend. This very reason is why Christ Jesus came into the world on a rescue mission to save sinners. Let's join Tom Pennington right now for more, here on The Word Unleashed.
0: Myers writes... Paganism is not the primeval religion from which man might gradually have risen to the knowledge of the true God But is on the contrary the result of a falling away from the known original revelation of the true God in his works What does that mean? It means forget everything you learned in your comparative religions class It means forget what your world religions professor taught you God says the truth is exactly the opposite Man started with a knowledge of the true God in his creation. And when he rejected that knowledge, that's when he began to create other religions. Because he wanted a religion that fits him. A religion that makes him comfortable. He wanted a God of his own making rather than the God who had revealed himself. So sinful man then refuses to glorify God as God. It is a hard-hearted rebellion. He knows, and he simply will not have it. But there's a second manifestation of his hard heart. He does not thank God. Notice verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks. Now that is a truly remarkable statement. At the core of human sinfulness is not only an unwillingness to glorify God as God, but a refusal to thank God. Os Guinness writes, Rebellion against God does not begin with the clenched fist of atheism, but with the self-satisfied heart of the one for whom thank you is redundant. It's a great quote. The attack on God doesn't begin with open hostility. It begins with apathetic indifference to his gifts. Now, I don't know if it surprises you, but it surprised me years ago when I first noticed it, and even this week as I was studying, it's surprising that Paul adds this as in any way equal to glorifying God. We don't usually think of it that way. We don't think of gratitude as occupying quite that Level. So, what is the connection then between glorifying God and giving thanks? Why would he put that here? James Montgomery Boyce explains this very well. He writes Romans 1 18 to 20 teaches that the existence of God is abundantly disclosed in nature. This means, of course, not merely that God exists. But also that all we are, see, and have has been brought into being by him. He is the creator of everything. So if we have life, it is from God. If we have health, it's from God. The food we eat, the clothes we wear, the friends we share, everything good is from God. If we fail to be grateful for this, it is because we are not really acknowledging Him or are rejecting a proper relationship to Him. What's Boy saying? He's saying, listen, the moment you come to the realization there is a God, which you have, God's put that, made that obvious to you, then you immediately know He made all of this, including me. That means everything I have, without exception, comes to me from God. So what would lead me not to thank God? Only a hard heart of rebellion. That's what Boyce is saying. You say, well, well wait a minute now, not everything in the world is good. There are there are bad things that happen. What about those things? Listen to Boyce. Someone may say, but we sometimes experience bad things too. We suffer pain and hunger, we get sick, eventually we die. In other words, the point he's making is some people argue against this sort of knowledge of God and his goodness by the bad things that happen. Boyce writes, But even here we show our ingratitude, for we deny the fact that if we got what we deserve, we would all be in hell, sinners that we are. Our very existence as sinners should cause us to praise God for his abundant mercy. What do we do? We ask the question, Why do bad things happen to good people? What's implied in that question? I deserve only good because I'm a good person. Why would anything bad happen to me? Folks, that's the wrong question. The real question is, why does anything good ever happen to us who are all bad If we got what we deserved, it would be nothing but hell. So any good is an expression of the goodness of God. But unbelievers manifest their hard hearts by looking at what they don't have rather than thanking God for what they do. They refuse to give God thanks. There's a huge difference between saying, I'm thankful for this blessing and taking the time to actually thank God. ...for that blessing. One is thankfulness. The other is nothing but disguised selfishness. Sinful man does not, as a habit of life, give thanks to God. So what does man do? I mean, how does sinful man respond when good things come into his life? Very quickly, he responds in three ways. Number one, he attributes the things he enjoys to false gods. This is one response, and it happens the world over today... God is good. He showers people with good things. As Paul says in Acts 14, he fills their hearts with food and gladness. He brings fruitful seasons and rain. And how do they respond? They thank somebody else. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 5, Hosea is writing about Israel and her idolatry. And he says, for her mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. This is again, about their idolatry, they're being unfaithful to the Lord. For she said, Israel said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. In other words, it's the idols who've given me these things. Verse 8, for she does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. This is what unbelievers do all the time. They take God's good gifts and they thank somebody else. A second thing unbelievers do is they attribute the things they enjoy to themselves. They take the credit. Well, you know, it's my marketing savvy. It's my intelligence. It's my industry. It's my hard work and sweat that accomplished this. Turn back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. God was concerned about the children of Israel responding this way when he brought them into the promised land. And so through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10, he says this, when I brought you into the promised land, when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Skip down to verse 17. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Listen, this is a universal human temptation. Success comes, and instead of thanking God, we thank ourselves. You know, I'm pretty smart. That was a great deal I pulled off what we should realize is that there are always people who are more gifted, more intelligent, more capable, have greater skills than our own, who've never enjoyed the success that we enjoy. But we don't do that. We take the credit. We give ourselves thanks. A third way unbelievers respond, not only do they attribute what they enjoy to false gods, to themselves, but thirdly, they enjoy the gift without really acknowledging it at all. They just enjoy it and... Pretend it didn't come from anywhere. Jesus touches on this in Luke 6.35. He's talking to us about loving our enemies, doing good, just like our Father does. And he says this about the Father. For he himself is kind to ungrateful men. Think about this. How do most people respond to God's good gifts? Take it for granted. Just use it and move on. Now go back to Romans chapter 1, because I want you to see how Paul puts this. I want you to see this is not an accident. Verse 21, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. This is rebellion. How do I know that? Look down at verse 28. Here's another way to put it. They did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. Now, we're going to get to this text, but let let me translate it for you literally from the Greek text. Verse 28 reads this way, they did not approve of God to have him in their knowledge. They did not approve of God to have him in their knowledge. Folks, this is not an accident. This is willful rebellion, willful rejection of God's right to rule their lives, willful rejection of the lordship of their creator. I want you to see verse 21 and let it sink into your soul. From the pen of the Apostle Paul and ultimately from the mind of the Holy Spirit, these are the cardinal sins of humanity and of our hearts as well. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. There is no greater affront to God, our creator and sustainer, than those two responses. It is shocking. And yet, that's how man responds. It is a hard-hearted rebellion. They refused to glorify him. They refused to thank him. You know, even between humans, we understand that gratitude is imperative and ingratitude is repulsive, right? I mean, secular writers talk about this. Cicero said a thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all other virtues, Shakespeare put in the mouth of his fictional King Lear those words, how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Think about it. We are repulsed and disgusted by a child who benefits hugely from the generosity of his parents, and then he responds to his parents without any proper respect, without any gratitude. He just takes it and enjoys it on on his own selfish lust. We're repulsed by that. And yet that is exactly the shocking way that fallen man responds to God. This week, I came across a quote that just summarizes it all. It's from the French Huguenot pastor and commentator, Jean Dalgia. Jean Dahlia. Listen to what he writes. This is great. Thankless men are like swine feeding on acorns which though they fall upon their heads, never make them look up to the tree from which they come. (laughs) That is the perfect indictment of humanity. Let me read it again. Thankless men are like swine feeding on acorns, which though they fall upon their heads, never make them look up to the tree from which they come. That's sinful man's response to God's goodness. Now... How do we deal with this? What, what do we do with this as believers? Let me first of all, talk to you if you 're in Christ. You've repented of your sin, you've put your confidence in Christ, and him alone is your only hope of heaven. How do you respond to this indictment? If you're in Christ, you understand that Scripture assigns a high value to Thanksgiving. For the true believer, gratitude is both natural and it's commanded. Let me just show you a couple of verses. Turn to Psalm 50. Psalm 50. And notice verse 14. Asaph writes, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. What is Asaph talking about here? Well, he's talking about one of the Old Testament sacrifices. One of the Old Testament sacrifices was the peace offering. And one particular kind of peace offering was the thanksgiving offering. What made the thanksgiving offering unique is that Unlike the other sacrifices, the whole animal wasn't burned. Instead, only the fat was burned on the altar, and then the rest of the meat was cooked. And the worshiper would sit in the temple with the priest and eat the food. And it was to symbolize that he was having a meal with God, a feast with God, expressing his thanks. I kind of take off, the, take off on the idea of this, and sometimes we'll set an empty plate at the end of our Thanksgiving table to remind us that anytime God's people are, are truly expressing their thanks to God and enjoying His goodness, it's like having a meal with God. He says, offer to God a Thanksgiving sacrifice. Look at verse 23. He who offers a sacrifice of Thanksgiving honors me, glorifies me. Turn over to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him, glorify him with thanksgiving. And when I do that, it will please the Lord better than if I offered a sacrificial animal. This is how much this matters to God. Again and again, the Psalms talk about it. I wish I had time to take you to all the ones I even have in my notes, but turn over to Psalm 100. This is a psalm of thanksgiving, the only psalm in the Psalter that's identified that way. Notice verse 4. The picture here is of a worshiper entering into the tabernacle or the temple and He is entering into that picture of God's presence. Enter His gates. Come into His presence with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Many of the Psalms begin, as Psalm 107 does, with these words, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love is everlasting. Folks, Thanksgiving is supposed to be a regular part of our lives. I love the, what, what the passage in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 says. It talks about Daniel when he discovered about the decree that he, he needed to stop worshiping the true God. What did he do? It says he went into his house and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. And what do we normally remember his doing? Praying. And it does say that. But it says, three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Listen, Thanksgiving isn't a a one-day-a-year affair. It's an everyday affair. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says, Don't be under the influence of a substance like alcohol. Don't be under some influence, for that's dissipation. But instead, be under the influence of the Spirit. And we learn from Colossians, he's talking about being filled by the Spirit with the Word. Now, when that happens, there are consequences. Verses 19, 20, and 21 give three consequences of a person who is influenced by the Spirit. Notice, first of all, there will be a a love for God-centered music. If you are filled by the Spirit, you will love God-centered music. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. By the way, some of you are new to our church, and you come from churches where people don't sing. Sometimes men even think it's kind of manly not to sing. Listen, Jesus, according to Hebrews 2, sings. Zephaniah says, God, the Father, sings. So get over it. And (laughs) sing! Okay? The person who's controlled by the Spirit of God loves God-centered music. will be singing in eternity. Notice there's a second effect, consequence of being Spirit-filled, and that's a pattern of thanksgiving. Verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Wherever the Spirit is dominating a life with the Word, there will be a constant pattern of thanksgiving. By the way, the third one in verse 21 is there will be submission to human authority. Where the Spirit is present, there won't be a spirit of rebellion against human authority. There'll be submission to human authority. And he begins to unfold that, the various kinds of submission in the verses that follow. So understand then that this is part and parcel of what it means to be a Spirit-filled Christian. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything gives thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. But let me talk for a moment to those of you who are here who are not in Christ. You know you're not a Christian. Uh, People can come to the service for lots of different reasons. I don't know the reason you're here, but let me talk to you for a moment. Do you understand why Paul says what he says in Romans 1? Why he says that all humanity doesn't glorify God as God, nor is thankful? That's true of you. That's true of me. That's true of everyone. That is God's indictment. And you know it's true. You know you haven't glorified God as God. You haven't loved him the way you ought to love him. You haven't feared him the way you ought to fear him. You haven't worshipped him the way you ought to worship him. And you know that you haven't been thankful for all of his good gifts. You, like all the rest of us, have whined and complained about your lot in life. Why does Paul include that in Romans 1? To remind us of our need for the gospel. That's your hope. That's my hope. God, our creator, whose wrath is being revealed, also is a God of love who sent his son into the world to live a perfect life, to die as a substitute in the place of sinners who would believe in him so that God's wrath could be satisfied, so that those who believe could be reconciled to God. If you will do that today, if you will repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be reconciled to God today and his wrath will be done. Because Jesus Christ will have endured it in your place. But if you refuse, you need to understand this is God's perspective of you today. He sees it as the greatest affront in the world that you refuse to glorify him as God and that you refuse to give him thanks. And someday, his wrath will be evident and obvious. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this magnificent passage. For those of us in Christ, Father, thank you that you saved us from this. Thank you that you have forgiven us for our failure to glorify you as God that you have forgiven us for our lack of gratitude because you have punished Christ and we are reconciled to you through his life and through his death. But Father, help us to foster a spirit which longs to glorify you and a practice and a pattern of thanksgiving in our lives. Father, I pray for those here today who don't know you through your Son. Oh God, help them to see themselves in the mirror of your word that has been held up to their minds today. May they see the reality of this is how you see them, and may they run to Jesus Christ and find refuge from your wrath in him. We pray in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with Part 8 of his series, God's Wrath Revealed and Man's Shocking Response. Tom, will bring you Part 9 next time. Do join us then. But Tom, as we close out today's study, can you once again describe the comprehensive nature of just how shocking man's response is to the God of the universe?
0: You know, Bill, Paul's description of mankind's rebellion against God is truly shocking. Not a single person is excluded from his indictment. We know God, we reject God, we harden our hearts toward God. Paul's description is truly comprehensive in its scope. It describes all men and women who've ever lived and who don't claim to worship the true God of the Bible, from the nobodies to the world's powerful and influential, from the ignorant to the university PhDs, from the uncivilized to the cosmopolitan. Paul emphatically describes and diagnoses all humanity apart from Christ. This is why the gospel needs to be preached and taken to all the world, because all have fallen short of the glory of God, and all need the saving gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the word Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at one eight seven seven five seven seven word And remember to connect with us on social, at the Word Unleashed. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory